0: Hi, this is Dr. Hughes, and I'm back again for potentially one last episode prior to Christmas. I have good intentions to create one or two more episodes prior to Christmas, but I may not get there. I have a lot professionally that I need to do prior to my break that I'll be taking, as well as a lot of things that I have on my list to do personally to prepare for Christmas. So I, I have good intentions to create one or two more podcasts but we, we will see if that pans out or not. Um, I will be recording another one in between the, the Christmas break and New Year's break. so you can count for sure before the holiday seasons are, are season excuse me is over one more uh, podcast in addition to, to this one. So let's jump right in. Today, I'd like to talk about uh, breast and nipple stimulation and touch. Um, there is a lot of hype and myth out there in the world that um, all women like breast and nipple stimulation, um, and that's that's just not entirely true. And, uh, and it ranges and varies from woman to woman and experience to experience and stage of the sexual response cycle to uh, other stage of the sexual response cycle. So just because one encounter with your spouse um, does not yield any positive results with, uh, with breast or, or nipple stimulation or touch or play doesn't mean that another encounter will not yield positive results Um, so what I would encourage you guys to do as a as a couple is to talk about what it what it feels like what um, the thought processes processes are surrounding breast and nipple stimulation um, if there are times or exceptions where it has been pleasurable or enjoyable uh, what we what we find a lot in self-report from women is that um, at different stages of the sexual response cycle, and with uh, different mindsets through, throughout. A sexual encounter, breast and nipple stimulation, can be—it um, can go from uh, being kind of an annoyance or um, irritating or just not non-pleasurable to um, to somewhat or to highly pleasurable uh, as the woman becomes more physiologically aroused has more sexual desire and that sexual desire one is is more key than the physiological arousal especially for for uh, women in enjoying certain types of touch so as a uh, a woman increases her desire to be open to and to be receptive to and to enjoy or want sexual activity breast and nipple stimulation um, can transform uh, from being uh, not very enjoyable or kind of irritating to um, to somewhat or even highly enjoyable um, and that can be the type of stimulation can can really range it can be soft touch it can be more firm touch it can be more direct uh, like um, uh, pinching or hickeys um, or um, or, or uh, pulling, um, but it, it, the the key here is to have a really open and ongoing conversations uh, with your spouse about what's enjoyable and when. And some some couples discuss finding it uh, productive to have conversations subsequent to sexual activity, and some couples find it. Um, more productive to have these conversations during sexual activity. So everyone's kind of different, and you, you two have got to create what uh, create your sexual style, what fits for the both of you. Some, um, some individuals and some couples find that having uh, conversations about what feels good or what doesn't feel good or how they, they may change or improve something during sexual activity finds that it uh, find that it pulls them out of the sexual activity that they're engaging in. They have to think uh, more with the cerebral part of their brain, um, which takes them away from the feeling part of, uh, of their brain and kind of pulls them out of the encounter. Uh, other individuals and couples find that that, that discussion uh, uh, about what's pleasurable or not pleasurable um, kind of pulls them into the sexual encounter. Uh, maybe even is arousing um, just by the nature of what they're talking about, the, the nature of what they're imagining themselves doing or um, Reflecting on what they have done moments prior or what they are currently doing and uh, other people find that it, it it allows them to feel closer to their spouse uh, during uh, sexual activity uh, to, to have this type of discussion. So you guys as, a, as individuals importantly it's important that that we figure out you know what fits for us as individuals and then what fits for us as a couple um and if this is a second marriage that you're on sometimes a a lot of times uh what was enjoyable or what fit or what worked in the first marriage doesn't necessarily translate to the second marriage so let's say in the first marriage it it was uh, productive to have these conversations during sexual activity it was good it was a positive thing it made you feel closer um it was kind of arousing and and erotic in in that you were discussing this intimate uh these intimate details that you were engaging in and in the subsequent second marriage it uh becomes let's say becomes distracting it pulls you out of what you're doing, what you're engaged in, um, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't mean that, you, that the first marriage um, was, was better in that regard because you could have those conversations during sexual intimacy. It just means that it was different, uh, that the second marriage... Um, or this can even be stage of life. This could be from the f- uh, first or early stage uh, of marriage to a later stage of marriage. Um, it, it's just saying that, um, you know, at this stage or in this uh, new marriage or second marriage, uh, it is more helpful for us as a couple to have these conversations after uh, we've engaged in sexual activity or prior to engaging in sexual activity. The next point that I want to talk about is um, what is what is portrayed in media in terms of um, who should engage in sexual activity, and this is one that isn't discussed nearly as as much. But there's a, a thought or an idea in the world that's subtly put out there i guess i i say subtly but um it it is also very overt so i I don't know if i can put my finger on it exactly but um there isn't a very clear message that says these people should be sexual and these people should not be sexual um it's sort of a reading between the lines Um, however in this case the lines uh, are very far apart and it's obvious that there's there's stuff in between the lines. So, yes, it's not the world, people, uh, groups, uh, media is not saying these people should be sexual and these people shouldn't. Um, but there, there is a lot of space to read in between the lines and there's, uh, there, there, the world can tell, we can tell um, as, as individuals that that there that there is something in between the lines here so the idea is that only attractive men or only attractive women as defined by a certain or particular society, so it's different in uh, the United States than it is in Europe for example, or in Africa than it it, it is in Australia or New Zealand uh, for example. So um, the society and the culture figures out, determines who is attractive and who is erotic, who is sexual, um, and, and, and they, they sexualize these individuals. Um, so, in uh, the United States, for a man, uh, it, it's a little different than it is for a woman. Um, you know, a, a man is still considered very attractive if they have gray hair or if they have white hair or if they have peppered hair. Um, There's the whole dad bod, you know, sexy dad bod idea and concept um, where you don't see similar trends for women in the United States. Women with peppered hair or gray hair or white hair um, aren't uh, through media and um, uh, The society generally seen as being as attractive as women that that are uh, blondes or brunettes or or don't have gray hair um, or don't have a mom bod. You know the the there's not a thing like that a mom bod is attractive in our society in in the United States but there is a a, it is a thing there is an idea a concept that the dad bod's attractive that the aging male is attractive he's more distinguished looking and uh, desirable because of that but that's just socially created Um, and if you look even in one particular uh, society um you know it, within the united states or within europe and you go across time you'll see those trends changing um and so it, it in in the the time of you know kings and queens and uh you know that 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 time frame uh you know where there's uh you know where there wasn't wasn't as much for those that were not of royalty um, it was arousing it was erotic for women to be and men to be. Uh, more shapely because it showed that they had prom- uh, prominence, that they had wealth, that they um, had resources, that they they were desirable because of that. Um, I mean, even in the times in the United States of, uh, you know, people like Madonna, she was a lot more shapely than uh, women that are seen as attractive nowadays. So you can see uh, across time and across cultures how society and cultures within the society create these ideas or these scripts for what is attractive what is hot what is desirable what is erotic um, and what it does um, is it creates these very limited scripts um, that are that marginalize other groups it marginalizes most other people actually there are very few people that that uh, that do fit into these scripts so um, we have limited scripts that are uh, uh, that the shapely woman the thin man uh, uh, the small breasted woman the man with the below average size or just average size penis the elderly the uh, mentally ill the uh, physically um, uh, uh, or chronically ill individual uh the person that's overweight or maybe that's seen as unattractive by society or culture standards um there's this idea that they they are not sexual they um they uh, or should not be sexual um, the elderly for instance uh, there's an idea that um you know they we don't have this hold this idea this concept in our minds that they are just as sexual uh, as uh, the young the um you know quote-unquote attractive the 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 hot woman or hot man um you know in their youth that, that that the elderly are not um as sexual as as them or that the um that the mentally ill are not sexual, that the overweight are not as sexual, um, and this is just simply not not so. It marginalizes these these groups, and uh, when we buy into these ideas, we surrender our sexuality. We give up our sexuality to these the socially derived concepts and con- constructs constructs of uh, sexuality, and. Um, and so I, I urge all of you to um, try to regain that, try to take that back um, and to discontinue surrendering your, your sexuality to uh, media, to society, to culture, um, all of those groups. And all of the ones that I did not list um, are just as sexual as those that are considered uh, sexually, uh, sexual or erotic or attractive. So so it, 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 this shift should be more to how we feel rather than whether or not we fit into certain categories that uh, or a certain category that deems us sexy or not. so how we feel um, about our, ourselves, how we feel about our sexuality. So you can be a. Um, a overweight male with a, an average-sized penis with, um, you know, maybe that's balding or, or bald um, and be just as erotic, just as sexual as, um, you know, the quote-unquote attractive uh, male in society. You know, ripped abs, you know, uh, good shape, full head of hair, um, you know, uh, that, that man is not any more or less sexual than the other man and it shouldn't be uh gross or obscene or um embarrassing if the uh quote-unquote less desirable man um you know less socially desirable man is uh, um, wanting to express and honor their sexuality um similar to to the other uh, socially uh, sexualized man, so um, it's it 's all about how we feel rather than um, what what others tell us about ourselves, tell us whether we are sexual, whether we are erotic or not. Okay, for, uh, for the last part of this episode, I wanted to give you, all of you listeners, some activities that you can work on individually and as couples. So I'm going to go through a, a list of uh, questions that you can explore alone and then with your spouse. And uh, then I'll, I'll conclude this, this episode for today. So, and I really want you to do this. In this in therapy, in the therapy world, we get so many people that come in that say, "Oh, I want to change this or that, whatever it may be." Individuals and couples, uh, families, um, but uh, but a lot of times, um, what what happens is. in in having to change that thing they have to put in effort and energy or they have to change other aspects of their life or if I eliminate this one thing then it's going to to cause you know this ripple effect in these other aspects of my life and I don't know if I want to address that or if I want to do that or this thing that I do um, causes or gives me something um, in my life that I will not have or I will have to find in a different way or achieve in a different way. Should I el- eliminate it? And uh, so what I encourage you to do is really reflect on do is this something that I want to change? Do I want to increase my sexual desire? Do I want to increase my uh, attunement with my sexual self? Do I want to have a relationship with my sexual body? Do I want my sexual- my sexuality to be an important part of my relationship? Uh, do I want to become uh, a sexually a more sexually healthy person? You know, all of those types of questions that have probably brought you to listening to uh, this podcast. I want you to really reflect on that and figure out if that is truly what you want. And if it is, what would need to change in order to achieve that? Or what might change as a result of addressing this? And then I, I, I'll read through these questions and um, you can hopefully invest more into changing your sexuality. Because, like I said on in these early podcasts that I recorded, my model is, uh, you know, S-A-A-M, sexual attentiveness and accountability model. It, it's it, what's key is us individually being... Um, Attentive to all of the things that we need to change. And to to doing work on our own. And to being accountable to ourselves for improving our sexuality. Improving our situation as individuals and as couples. So if you're willing to go on that journey and and, uh, to to, uh, be accountable to self... And to be attentive to all of these things and to address all of these things, then I'll give you this list of things, to questions to ask yourself and ask your uh, yourself uh, and spouse together. And um, if you really are going to be accountable, then you'll you'll follow through with this. Okay, so on to the question questions: What brings me the most sexual pleasure? What do I do when there is a sexual issue or dysfunction? For me or my spouse? What should I do when there is a sexual issue or dysfunction for me or my spouse? So, what do I do? What should I do? What brings me sexual desire? And list multiple categories touch, connection, fantasy, etc. How can I embrace my own level of sexuality in marriage while promoting the relationship? How has media impacted my view of gender, sexuality, and sexual capability? How has it impacted my view of my spouse's gender, sexuality, and sexual capability? How do I feel when only one or neither of us has an orgasm during sex, or when sex doesn't include intercourse? How do I feel about breast and nipple stimulation? How often have I viewed pornography or masturbated in my life and in the last three months. If addicted, how is this impacting my sex life and sexual safety? Now this, uh, these next two questions are for men and then I have two subsequent questions for women. Why and how often do I rush to sex before my partner is appropriately aroused? Why and how often do I rush to sex before my partner is appropriately aroused? When have I not been appropriately aroused for sex, and what has been my comfort level in talking to my spouse or letting her know? These last two are for women. How sexually capable do I feel in relation to my spouse and in relation to other women? Why and how often has sex been painful or uncomfortable? All right, that's it for today. This is just uh, a therapist sitting in an armchair talking about sex.